0: wonderful experience this morning. I uh, just want to read to you uh, a few verses, you be familiar to many of you, I'm sure, from Luke chapter 15, from the start of the chapter, the first three verses we read, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. And then going on to verse 25, his elder son was in the field, and as he came near, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came home, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. There's no better illustration uh, of our Heavenly Father's love than the story that we read here, the parable, so-called, of the prodigal son, the extent of the father's forgiveness, the willingness, the readiness, the overwhelming generosity of his love when the son returns home. And yet that's not the main focus of this parable. This parable wasn't directed at people who were away from God, people who were living lives of immorality and uh, destitution. This parable is actually aimed at the public, Sorry, at the Pharisees and the scribes, at the establishment of the day, at the religious leaders of the day. If you remember at the beginning, we read that the, tax co- that the Pharisees and the scribes complained about Jesus mixing and meeting uh, and socializing with these tax collectors and sinners. And then it says Jesus spoke this parable to them, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. And the punchline, as it were, of this parable comes in those last few verses that I read to you. So what is it that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees? What is he trying to get across to them? What's the message that he's trying to impress upon them? And we need to look carefully at the reaction of the older son and the the older brother to his younger brother's return. Uh, He was isolated. He was uh, Apart from the, uh, and separated from the rest of the household. He was the only one not rejoicing and celebrating his brother's return. I dare say the fatted calf was none too pleased either at the news of the young lad coming home. So what's wrong? What's happened? Where's it all gone wrong? And I believe there's a key phrase in verse uh, 27, uh, sorry, 25. The oldest son was in the field. He was in the field. Now, let's give him credit. He was working. He was not a shirker. He was not a layabout. He was dedicated, and he was devoted uh, to uh, serving his father. And yet, somehow, this had become a kind of a barrier and an obstacle to his relationship, not only with his younger brother, but with his father also. He'd become isolated. He even had to ask one of the servants what was going on. He'd become so detached, so remote from what was going on in his own family that he had to ask a servant. In a sense, he was in a worse position than the servants. The younger brother, remember, it, said, you know, my, ser- my father's servants are better off than I am. Uh, I-, I can go home and ask to become a servant. And here, in a sense, the elder brother was in a worse position because he didn't even know what the celebration was about. Just make the point and uh, make the remark in passing that when we're involved in the work of God, We must be very careful not to think that what we're doing is the only thing that matters. We must be careful that we don't become separated and that, you know, our department, the department we're involved with in the life and the work of the church doesn't become a compartment, separated and isolated. But the problem was that being in the field, he believed that somehow this entitled him to preferential treatment from his father. He... Uh, resented, as I say, the welcome given to his younger brother. You know, he he felt that his younger brother didn't deserve it. And there is a danger that sometimes we fail to welcome and to receive people when they are seeking God's forgiveness and God's mercy. You know, we can sometimes be quite um, unintentionally and unconsciously hostile uh, and unwelcoming to people when they come amongst us, they don't know our procedures. They sit in our favorite chair. They uh, uh, bring young children with them who are a bit noisy. You know, all these things. And we can feel a little bit sort of irritated and angry. And this communicates itself and this transmits itself to those people. We don't like the way they dress. We are not happy with their uh, hairstyles uh, and, and their body piercings and so on. I remember a lovely story that uh, a minister in Albury told me when... Uh, Going back to the 1970s, a young punk, as they were called then, uh, came to know the Lord uh, and had a genuine conversion, was baptized, and he turned up to his baptism, you know, with all his chains and uh, safety pins and all the other bits and pieces all over his body. And the minister's heart sank. He thought, oh, no, you know, he's gone back to his previous ways. And the young chap says, no, he says, I wanted to look my best for Jesus. To him, that was the best he could be. That was how he could demonstrate that this was a genuine and a real commitment. And sometimes we fail to see things like that. We, we, we are, uh, as I say, discriminatory. The gospel is inclusive. It's for the whosoever. And sometimes we say, yes, if they do this or if they look like us or if they speak in a certain way, it's not the case. We must embrace everybody. I've forgotten which archbishop it was uh, who once said that the church of Jesus Christ is the only institution that exists for the benefit of non-members. The only institution that exists for the benefit of non-members. Look at how the older brother speaks about his younger brother. He says, when this, your son, came home, doesn't even acknowledge him as his brother. This, your son. There's no, as far as he's concerned, there's no relationship between them. There's no connection between them. And we must, as I say, uh, avoid those attitudes which sometimes can be off-putting and, uh, and, and, and turn people away from uh, hearing and receiving the gospel. This, your son. I, I don't usually talk about um, members of the family <clears throat> when I'm preaching, and, but this illustrates a point so well. A few weeks ago, my granddaughter said to me, she says, your son get that, your son, that's her dad of course, but she said, your son made me late for, I think it was school or something anyway, whatever it was, but your son, and somehow I got the impression that she was blaming me as well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something, something I'd done wrong at some stage in my life, your son has made me late for school, and you know, there's this sort of uh, way in which the older brother uh, distanced himself. Uh, and stood apart from and uh, away from his younger son that's not what the gospel calls us to do it calls us to receive to welcome to embrace to accept it's a gospel of acceptance not a gospel of rejection and and the the son it seems almost blames the father for the way uh, that the son had turned out and in the field he says i've been in, i've been serving you all these years he believed Not only that he was entitled to preferential treatment, but he believed that he hadn't had that preferential treatment. All these years I've served you and I've never even been given so much as a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And remember Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here and he's trying to help them to see, to understand what was wrong, that they depended entirely on their keeping of the law. They were legalistic. In their eyes, the way to win God's favor was by keeping the law. And boy, did they seek and try to keep the law. And they constructed this huge juggernaut of rules and regulations so that every possible situation that they might encounter had some kind of prescriptive regulation to say what they could or couldn't do. For example, at some point, because uh, they knew that they were supposed to rest on the Sabbath, at some point they'd uh, c- come to a kind of a compromise. That, does that mean you can travel on the Sabbath, or have you got to stay at home? And they worked out that you could travel two miles. And then people said, well, what if I need to go further than two miles? And they said, well, if you take a little tent with you, and then when you've traveled two miles, put the little tent up, sit there for half an hour, whatever it is, And then you can go another two miles because it's a different journey. And it came to that kind of petty, nitpicking uh, observance of rules and regulations. And the Pharisees said, well, yes, we're keeping the law, but this lot aren't. They couldn't be bothered. These tax collectors, these sinners, these women uh, of ill repute and so on, they just do what they please. And we are striving and seeking so hard to please God. A few years ago, we had our kitchen um, done over and so on, had a new cooker put in. And uh, looking through the cooker manual, I was intrigued to see that there is something called a Sabbath setting. And, and I thought, what on earth does that mean, a Sabbath setting? Well, apparently, for strict Jews, it's, it's uh, wrong to uh, ignite, uh, to strike a match, to start a fire, to do anything on the Sabbath. And that was fine when all you had were matches. It was quite simple. You didn't strike a match. But then when electric cookers came in, were you breaking the Sabbath if you press the ignition button to start the oven to cook your Sunday dinner or your Sabbath dinner, I should say? And so somehow I don't understand the technology. There is some setting that allows you to set the oven up on the, um, before the start of the Sabbath and Friday evening so that when it comes on, it hasn't actually caused any ignition, any spark of ignition. And I thought, you know, Genesis chapter one, chapter two, you have this tremendous statement: God saw all that he had made, and lo, it was very good. And on the seventh day he rested. How do we get from that to an instruction in a cooker manual about which button you press? How ridiculous. And this is the this is the stupid and the senseless and the and and, and the pointless. Uh, kind of life that the Pharisees were living, straining after a gnat and swallowing a camel, as Jesus once said. But, you know, Jesus, I think, was trying to get across to the Pharisees that this was unnecessary, that God loved them. I've heard, and I remember reading an article once when we had a magazine in our fellowship uh, in print, and some writer had uh, written something like this, that Jesus really went to town against the Pharisees. He let rip against them. He didn't hold anything back. He really tore a strip off them. And I'm afraid I find that hard to accept and to understand. Yes, he did say things about them. He called them whitewashed sepulchres or whitewashed graves with dead men's bones inside. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that was said with a tear, not with a sneer. I believe that Jesus loved and cared for the Pharisees as much as he loved the tax collectors and the sinners i don't believe that there was any animosity any hatred he 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 didn't he didn't approve and agree and and of what they stood for in terms of legalism and 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 trying to please god by their own efforts but as far as they were concerned he loved them if he didn't love the pharisees then Saul of tarsus would never have been saved if he didn't have the Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would never have come to him and uh, accepted him as their Lord. Jesus had great compassion for the Pharisees. He loved them. And the son, you see, had, didn't understand what grace was all about, and neither did the Pharisees. They thought the way to win God's favor was through this effort, this striving, this, this burden that they imposed upon themselves. When Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. If you read the context of that verse in its entirety, I believe that he said those words to the Pharisees. He was saying, look, you've put this tremendous burden upon yourselves. A burden, in fact, which you can't carry. You set yourself standards which you can't keep. And as a result, you feel rejected. You feel feel isolated. You feel detached. And he wanted them to know that the Father loved them, that God's love embraced them, that he loved them as much as the tax collectors and the sinners. No more, but certainly no less either. And, you know, we have to be careful even as believers, as Christians, that we don't fall into the trap of thinking, I've got to do this to please God. That I've got to be working harder I've got to be doing more I've got to be more faithful I've got to be doing more of this or more of that you see nothing we can do will make God love us anymore because he already loves us to the ultimate that is grace some people I think misunderstand grace they say well God loves me grace means that God loves me for who I am, for what I am no, God loves me for who he is and what he is not what I am, what he is he is love, God is love God doesn't love me because I can spot a misplaced apostrophe from a distance of 50 yards. He loves me because he is love. Because he, uh, his love is unlimited and boundless. And so he's welcoming the Pharisees. He's not pushing them away. He's not saying, well, we don't want you. You're spoiling this celebration and, and, and interfering with our rejoicing. The father said to the son, it's right that we, there's only two of them there at that point, him him. The father, the older brother. It's right that we should make merry and be glad. Come and join the party. Come alongside us. Put aside all those strivings, those efforts, those attempts to justify yourself in the eyes of God and just celebrate God's love for you. I wonder this morning whether there are people here who have identified yourselves with the older brother. You say, yes, It's all become a bit of a drudgery. I've been serving God. I've been working hard. I've been dedicated to this and to that. And and it all feels a bit as if I've lost the plot somewhere, as if somehow, you know, it's pointless, it's meaningless. The more I try, the harder it gets. And if so, then the message to you is simply, God loves you. Just come to him and receive his grace. Perhaps, although we've not said much about him, maybe you've identified with the younger son, the one that went astray, the one that wasted his father's inheritance, the one that uh, ended up living in a pigsty. Maybe, I hope, things can't quite as bad as that for you this morning, but you feel that your life is not much better than a mere existence, meaningless, pointless existence without any kind of prospect or future. And again, the message is the same for you, that God loves you, that he wants you to enter into the fullness of his kingdom, to enjoy the riches that are yours in Christ. The Father said to the Son, all I have is yours, and you're always with me. I haven't got to do anything special for you. It's already there. It's already yours. Claim it, take it, and enjoy it. Trust by the grace of God this morning that you will enter into a, a fuller experience and appreciation of the knowledge that God truly loves you that you are welcome, that you are received by him. May the Lord bless you this morning. Amen. Thanks, Dad.